Please turn in your Old Testaments to Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. And this is the Word of God. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between her offspring and your offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise your head. His heel. Now, there's a joke that I heard early on as a believer that uh, that I thought was pretty funny about the guy who got to heaven, and the first thing he wanted to do when he got to heaven. You you know maybe maybe that's a good question. What's the first thing you want to do when you get to heaven? He said the first thing I want to do when I get to heaven is go find Adam and punch him in the nose. Well, I mean, we kind of get the humor in that because surely in heaven we're not going to be violent and want to punch people in the nose. But we kind of get it, don't we? <laughs> we, kind of, we kind of get the fact that the fall of mankind through Adam and Eve has made everything so difficult and, and futile. And has led to this thing that we're going to look at this morning called the curse And the curse is upon every one of us. So this morning, let's see how the fall led to the curse and what that means. And how the curse led to what I'm going to call the surprise. So we have the curse and we have the surprise. Let's look at the curse. Uh, The curse goes back to Genesis 2. 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded him, saying, here it is, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. That's pretty clear cut, isn't it? God's given them everything, a relationship with Him, all they could eat, all they could enjoy, meaningful work without toil. It's all good and there's just one thing. And it's not shinier and prettier than all the others, I promise you. But things just didn't turn out the way Satan's shiny words suggested they would. Now, Satan questioned God's word and God's goodness. Did God really say that? Can you really trust God to to give you what you really need? Maybe God's withholding things from you. Maybe God can see the whole thing and you can't see the whole thing. Who knows what you're missing out on? God knows that if you eat this fruit, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to see both good and evil. You're going to see everything. You're going to have everything. God knows that if you eat of that fruit, you will be like God. And He don't want you to be like Him. Well, they threw off trust in God's Word and trust in His goodness and trust in His love and they ate it and their their eyes were indeed opened to a world of evil and greed and lust and selfishness and their hearts shifted over toward me rather than toward God. And the irony, of course, is is that when their eyes were open, 
They weren't like God anymore. And Genesis 3 is the story of God driving them out of the Garden of Eden and driving them out of His immediate, holy, holy presence and relational presence. It's what is called the curse. And it's horrible. Uh, Basically, it is God spelling out the consequences for the sin that He warned them against. The curse is just God sentencing out of His holiness, perfectly righteously sentencing mankind for His rebellion. Now, the curse has three parts. The cursing of the serpent to crawl on his belly and eat of the dust. The cursing of the woman with the pains of childbirth. Can I get an amen from the women here? The curse of the earth because of man's rebellion and the fact that it will um, not produce anymore without toil and sweat. Um, And the curse of the man through this who will all his days toil and then finally die. So you mind if I just read to you? I want you to hear the whole curse, if you don't mind. It starts with Genesis 3.14. The Lord God said, remember the first part to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, curse number two, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children and your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Curse number three, to Adam, he said, verse 17, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. And then the worst part of all, verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him from the Garden of Eden, sent him out to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. It's horrible. It is absolutely just. It is There's a one-to-one correspondence between God, His holiness, the truth of His word, and the execution of His word according to His holiness. The guilty will by no means go unpunished. We hear so clearly later. But do you know the worst part of it was? That in the curse they were pushed out of the immediate presence of God because of His holiness. They weren't in the garden anymore. And that is exactly where their children were born, outside of the garden, with hearts bent toward self rather than bent toward love. 
and bent toward God and bent toward his glory. Someone gave me a word picture one time. It's kind of like a, um, an illustration that is if God was saying, you know, just live with me in this beautiful place in my love and all the fullness of everything. It's beautiful. But don't jump in that pit right there because it's a pit. So Adam jumped in the pit and Eve jumped in the pit. And the question simply is, guess where their children were born? Tell me. In the pit. Cursed. It's horrible. So let's demonstrate the reality of of how this is still true today. I mean, I just love when people say, oh, no, everybody's good. (laughs) Man is basically good, and we got utopia to work for, and it's society that corrupts. Man, like, what do you think society is? It's people. Come on. I'll use some letters of the alphabet. How about that? C stands for curse. And without curse, we would not have crime. We would not have Crimea and all the things going on over there. We would not have cancer. We would not have cutthroat business practices that are not fair and unequal weights and measures. Change it to any letter of the alphabet you want. M stands for murder. S stands for sex trade kidnapping little girls and putting them into prostitution against their will for the rest of their lives. I stands for ISIS. G stands for genocide. R stands for racial riots. You get it? I mean, let's just get a little closer to home. J stands for jealousy in our hearts. A stands for anxiety. D stands for dread. Right? And all this makes us want to pee, punch Adam in the nose. (laughs) Which only proves that I am V violent and therefore F fallen. And under the curse. (laughs) So first, the fall led to the curse. Pushed out of the presence of God. A heart bent toward self, not toward love, not toward God. So that's the curse. Secondly is the surprise. This is the shocker. The shocking part of Genesis 3, 1 through 19, is not the curse. It should not be surprising that a holy God who has decreed by His Word exactly what He will do carries out sentencing on the rebellion. No, the surprise of Genesis chapter 3 is that right in the midst of this sentencing, right in the middle of this judgment, I mean, God suddenly, with just out of nowhere, just gives a promise of undeserved, unmerited grace from Him. It's breathtaking. You're like, cursed is this, cursed is that. I told you, this is the way I'm holy, I have to punish sin, and boom, there it is, the surprise. Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, he's speaking to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring, Here it is. He shall bruise your head 
and you shall bruise his heel. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Uh, basically what God is saying to the snake is, you think the snake and you and the woman uh, are, are going to be on good terms forever? Let me tell you something. She will regret the day she ever met you. Some people say this is why women are afraid of snakes, but I think that's taking the text a little too far. Some women aren't afraid of snakes. I will put enmity. But then God says that from the woman, an offspring later, from the woman one will be born who will crush Satan's head and thereby reverse this curse. This is the first mention of the fact that the last word is not going to be the curse. That all of this can go back to a, a relationship with God in the immediate presence, in the embrace of God. I mean, this is incredible. And uh, he's going to crush Satan's head. Now, most translations say crush the head. I realize the ESV that we are reading out of says bruise the head. But I want you to know the meaning of that Greek word, bruise, is to bruise the living daylight out of the head of Satan until he's dead. <laughs> Seriously, the word can mean bruise or crush. And uh, most people say Satan bruises Jesus, the, the one born of the woman, and Jesus crushes the serpent. Uh, it's more of a picture... Uh, and, you, and we get this. It's more of a picture of, of what you kind of do with snakes. Snakes crawl on their belly, right? That's part of what we just read. Snakes strike you, right? Your heel or, you know, your leg. And what do you do to a snake when he strikes you? Well, maybe you'll jump or maybe you'll just stomp his head. And getting, and getting struck or bruised on a heel and getting stomped on the head are two different things. And that is exactly the picture here. So uh, what, what God's kind of saying to, to the serpent is, hey, you serpent, you're going to bruise his heel, the one who will come from the woman, and he's going to stomp on your head. One will be born of a woman whom you, Satan, might, might want to refer to as the crusher, the snake crusher. There will be, one day, the snake crusher. I, I, I was kind of saying this out loud, and for some reason I was just wanted to say it in Australian, the crusher. <laughs> the snake crusher. And, and Satan was crushed on the cross, and Jesus' heel was bruised by Satan. You know what this is? Right in the middle of judgment. This is the shock. This is the surprise. This is the, the first promise of the coming Messiah, of His suffering and His ultimate triumph over sin, over the curse, over the evil one. I mean, do you see it? I mean, God doesn't even take a breath. God doesn't even finish all the curses and say, now. I mean, God's just in the middle of judgment when He says, I'm coming after you. I still want you. You failed. I won't. I will do it for you. I will send somebody for you. And it is so unexpected because of 
when it happens in the midst of sentencing. It's huge. It's amazing. It's breathtaking. Grace is a surprise. By definition, grace is a surprise, right? Why? Because grace is unexpected favor. You didn't expect it. You deserve something else. And suddenly, there was a surprise. You got this instead of what you deserved. Grace is always a surprise because grace is never expected. If you expect it, it's not grace. If you feel like it's owed to you, it's not a gift. This is what's so beautiful about it. It's still a surprise. We're kind of we're uncursed by the one who came and took our curse. We're uncursed. We get the fact that we've blown it. Um, we, we get the fact, whether we admit it or not, that we have guilt before God. And I'll tell you one of the reasons we know that, I mean we just know it. But it's also how we treat other people who transgress against us. We are very vindictive. We are very eye for an eye. That is just the way our little fallen hearts work. We get the fact that we've blown it, right? What we don't get without the gospel is that God himself has made a way for us. You can't know that without understanding Genesis 3.15. You can look at the trees, the ocean, and the mountains and know that there's a God and He's glorious. You cannot know God has made a way without Genesis 3.15 and every mention of the gospel subsequent to that. This is God Himself. He did not fail. It is finished. And the one born of a woman has come. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, it kind of maybe gives more sharpness to this verse. Don't you love it when you kind of read the Old Testament or New and then you get to the other Testament and you go, oh, I, whoa, that's even more one-to-one than I realized. Let me read it. Remember her offspring in Genesis 3.15? Galatians 4, 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, Some versions say when the time had finally come for this promise to be fulfilled. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. There's going to be somebody who's going to be born of a woman. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. This is the beginning of the promises that, re- that result in the, the reversing of this curse. And now we are adopted as sons through Jesus, through what He has done, and He did not fail. Not that He can't fail, He didn't fail. And He won't fail. We are no longer out of Kicked out of the garden, so to speak. Now we are adopted sons through grace, through this unexpected surprise of God coming to rescue us. In Jesus, the curse is overcome by the surprise. Um, probably the most famous verse is Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, right? I mean, isn't that what Genesis 2 said? For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We got the curse and we got the surprise. Can you see the surprise? 
clearly in the midst of the curses in Genesis 3:15 are you surprised by grace are you amazed by grace i remember as a young man in college did not understand the gospel yet and um I was never really good at math, except when it came to spirituality. And I knew how to calculate my good deeds and bad deeds to try to maintain some kind of a um, passing grade with God and somehow be okay with God at the end of my days. I was good at that algebra, which, by the way, is not God's math. But I'll be honest with you. I felt like as I wandered away from God in high school, I'm talking about what I knew about God, what I had been taught about God. As I wandered away from God in high school and as I wandered even further away from God in college, I, I really began to think down deep that He didn't want me anymore. There's no way that I can work my way out of this hole with God. I really felt that way. You see, I got the curse. I got that. I mean, there were times I wasn't even sure there was a God, and I still got the curse. Explain that. But what I didn't understand, you see, was the surprise. Until I grasped the gospel, and there it was. Jesus became one of us and lived the life that we could never live before God. Done. On our behalf. Died a substitutionary death on our behalf. And the wrath of God, the punishment for sin, the curse carried out, was carried out upon Him. He took our curse. He drained the wrath of God. And we are catapulted into the arms of God through faith in what He has done. And uh, and I put my trust in Jesus. And it was an incredible thing to know that I was loved and not by my own efforts. I was talking with a friend of mine about this, um, and I I love the fact that he's passionate. Uh, He's a member of this church, Chris Snowpeck, who has played baseball at Ole Miss. Uh, One of the people that played Major League Baseball, uh, you know, Mississippians, uh, you know, why do we suddenly like the Denver Broncos and the, you know, the New York Giants? It just doesn't make sense. Well, because, right? So we kind of liked the Chicago White Sox for a while when Chris was the the, uh, starting shortstop for the White Sox and they actually won the World Series. But I talked with him about what it was like to live in that world of, of just everything coming at you fast Everybody wanting a piece of you. Everything being offered to you 100 miles an hour. And uh, as he put it, he was completely living for himself. He was living for his stats. He was living for his own satisfaction. And it wasn't working. It was not working Professional sports isn't the most conducive life just normally toward living with God and 
and living for God. Although, if you see a professional athlete who really loves God that's, and, and, and lives for Him, that's incredible, you know. And after so much water under the bridge, I actually talked to him this week. I said, I've got to get this straight. How many places? They lived in 13 different places in his career. After so much water under the bridge of living for himself, God's grace finally got through, and he was shocked. You see, he's no different than me. He felt like there's no way in the world that I can make good on this. He got the curse. He basically told me, I mean, isn't it true that I think one of the hard things about the gospel is there's no way this can be true. It's too good to be true. God cannot be giving this away. Yes, he is. One will be born of a woman who will crush the head of Satan. Yes, he is. One of the things I love about Chris is that he loves to talk about the fact that new life in Christ is a gift. He's surprised by grace. But look, you don't have to be a, you know, a wandering college student. In fact, I wish you wouldn't be. You're you young people. You don't have to go into professional sports and to the, all the excesses thereof to be cursed. Everyone is cursed. Everyone's born in the pit. Everyone has a heart bent, bent towards, towards self. If you don't believe that, you have not raised children. <laughs> Even if you are a sweet little child here today, even if you are a sweet little child here today, we've got a few sweet little children, most of them in the 1030 service, hey, sweet little children, you're cursed. You need to understand that. Because of the fall, you're under the sentence of God. Well, that's just kind of a harsh thing to say to our sweet little children, isn't it? No, that is exactly what the condition really is. And we need to understand what it is. You need to be amazed and surprised by grace. And you know, we who believe, don't we need to keep reminding ourselves of this grace? I do. Don't, don't we need to keep saying, okay, instead of trying to do three good things to make up for one bad thing, or, you know, what, we're, we're, we get into that math again, that algebra again, right? It's just so exhausting to act like you're under the curse when you're not. Don't we just need to take our sins, which we are sinful, and even though we, we are redeemed by Jesus, don't we just need to take our sins to our Father who has His arms out to us? Don't we just need to repent of our sins and just receive forgiveness that's already been purchased for us on the cross and receive that love that is, and, and to, to just have that sense of that love that never left us? We're the ones that, that kind of leave. Through Jesus, rightfully cursed people are not and we get to unwrap grace every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Lamentations 3. You know why His mercies are new every morning? Because even His people sin every day. <laughs> and God's grace is always a beautiful thing. It's always a surprise. This is what living into focus is. It's kind of the series we're doing. It's living in light of the surprise. So you're going to live in light of the curse, or are you going to live in light of the surprise? That's the question. Now, let me finish by just maybe doing a little montage of what would it look like 
to live in light of the surprise. It, it would mean to live a life of gratitude. That's what it would mean. It would mean to love God because He first loved us. It would mean to quickly bring our sins to our Heavenly Father who will never let go of us because it was not gained by us. It is not up for grabs. This has been secured by the Son of God Himself. And Satan's head is crushed and will be completely crushed. And all that story will be, will be complete. It means to say, hey, I'm forgiven. What else matters? <laughs> what else is there? I mean, isn't this the meaning of life? God put him in the garden so he could walk with them, be loved by him, love one another. Isn't that still the meaning of life? I mean, your mortgage isn't the meaning of life. Your job isn't the meaning of life. Your relationships that you feel like if you don't have friendship with this group, it's just not going to, you can't live any longer. None of that's the meaning of life. Hey, I'm forgiven. I'm loved by God. What else is there? It means out of this grace to go for it. Go for it. And what does it mean to go for it? It means to get your little turtle head out of that shell and quit being so fearful. Quit, quit making the world come to you. Love. Move toward. Do three of five with us. I know you've been hurt. It's going to be okay. Love again because you are loved. It means that you are so secure in God's love that nobody can add to it or subtract from it. Nobody can diminish you with God. Nobody can take away from the quotient of the love that matters most. Isn't that wonderful? That's what it means to live in light of the surprise. It means to live in community with authenticity and open hands and look, can't we just be honest here? Can't we love one another in the gospel here? Yes, we can. And we're going to blow it. And we're going to repent not only to God but to one another. And, and trust will only be strengthened. It means to risk. Because fundamentally at the deepest place you have what you need. It means to help people who are under the curse to understand the surprise. And be able to embrace it and embrace Him. It means, finally, to live into the richness of a landscape and a topography in your life that you would have never discovered without the abandon of grace. Without the leadership of the Holy Spirit into a life of love that will take you places and with people and to depths that you would never have traveled because you always would have been protecting yourself. You always would have been staying so close to what you thought would make your life. It means to love people that are not lovely. It means to love people with people you love before the face of God who will always love you because of Jesus. Living into focus is living in light of the surprise. You surprised? Let's live in light of the gospel together and see what God will do in our midst, in the midst of sinners like us. Let's pray. Lord, would you so work in our lives that your love would become the headline 
If you never put your trust in Christ and you'd like to, just pray with me. Lord, I, I see it. Jesus, you've done it all. I can't do it. I'm so surprised. And I want to receive everything that you've done for me. Turn away from everything else. And thank you, Lord. And Lord, so many of the anxieties in our lives come from the fact that we live like we're under the curse. And we mete out judgment on people like we're under the curse. And we're so afraid and fearful. Would you allow your grace to seep down into the pores of our soul so that you would, we would be convinced of this radical love, this radical change that you are responsible for, that you have done in our lives, that you are working in our lives. Lord, would you make us so secure that we would be able to love. Lord, would you give us eyes to see need and hurt and be able to reach. Would you give us, Lord, arms to, to band with, with your people, Lord, so that we might live this thing out, this live in light of the surprise together. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.